Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. My name is Seanad Meyer Richards and I'm the Lord Mayor of Sheffield this year. I love books and I know the difference they can make to people's health and happiness throughout their lives. I've been reading since I was a little girl and I'm still reading at bedtime now. So I've teamed up with Sheffield Libraries to launch the Lord Mayor's Big Read. In this series of Big Read podcasts, we've invited some well-known Sheffield personalities to chat about the books that they love. I hope you'll enjoy listening. And if you do, share it with your friends. Let us know what you think. And please share your own favourite reads on social media at hashtag ChefReads. Hello and welcome to the new Sheffield Libraries podcast series for the Lord Mayor's Big Read. My name is Liz Chapman and I work for Sheffield Libraries. In this new podcast series, we're going to be talking to well-known Sheffielders about some of their favourite and most inspiring reads. And for this, our launch episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the astronaut, chemist and first British person in space, Helen Sharman. Helen, we are so delighted and honoured to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. And I have been so looking forward to talking with you. So thank you for inviting me. We are absolutely delighted to have you. So welcome. Um, So, of course, as I'm sure all our listeners will already be aware, you grew up in Sheffield. So I was wondering whether you could tell us a little bit about your experience of using Sheffield libraries when you're a child and any memories you have of that time. Well, my childhood was back in the 1960s, so libraries um, were quite a different place then. I first um, had my first years in Grenaside, so really sort of towards what was then north of Sheffield, I suppose, but it was still very much felt as though it was part of the Sheffield area. And there was a small library with an even smaller children's section. Um, Don't remember an awful lot. I know I was taken there by my mum. But then we moved to Greenhill um, in the south of Sheffield and Greenhill had quite a, a large library in comparison. And there was a beautiful children's section. It wasn't even it was sort of like you turned right to go into the children's bit where you turn left to go into the adult section. So it felt like our own space and it was specially for us Uh, and there were places to sit there were desks where you could actually do a little bit of homework what little we had in those years when we were at primary school but there were just loads and loads of what I would call storybooks really just and I loved reading books Um, there was a bookworm club at the library and the librarian had um, initiated this I'm sure in a a bit to try and get us to read Um, and you got a yellow badge when you had 200 points I think you got 10 points every time you read a book and you could tell the librarian enough about it to make her think that you really had read it and 500 points you could get a white bookworm badge and yes I got my white bookworm badge I was very proud to have that but I just read pretty much anything and anything from from those those shelves on the really of the, the storybooks yeah Oh, that's wonderful. What a lovely memory to have. I I also have very fond memories because I also grew up in Sheffield of going to Sheffield libraries as a child 
And we went to the central library and I had a special label on my card saying that I was allowed to take 10 books like an adult. Um, That makes you feel very special, doesn't it? (laughs) It did, yes, because I read so much. I remember that central library as well. I used to go down when I was a bit older in secondary school. I was was starting to get interested in sort of the in science and, and atoms and what's inside atoms um we weren't learning quite that topic at school so I used to take myself up on the bus to the central library um and you could just go there and peruse the reference books without being a specific member of that library and I would spend hours just reading through these great big heavy tomes just immersing myself in a very narrow area of a subject that I just sort of started to grow and love and I don't know if that's what enabled me later on to feel comfortable in the sciences but certainly being able to have access to that information because of of course this is all pre-digital era so I couldn't just sort of click a switch on the um, you know hit a switch on the computer and uh, and find out a whole load of stuff from an internet site those books were really the, the the way the key to all that information that's wonderful. That's so lovely to hear. Um, I like to think that Sheffield Libraries provided the seed for you loving science and eventually going into space. So, I'm sure they did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I believe you've chosen some of your favourite books to talk about today. Um, so would you like to start with the first one that you have brought for us? So The first one is a bit of an odd one, really, because I chose it as the first one because it was the one that I remember perhaps um, most with most emotion from my childhood days. Um, But I can't remember the title and I can't remember the author. It was about a gorilla, a young gorilla growing up with a child. And it was so empathetic. I loved animals um, and any stories about animals. Um, I'm sure this must have been based on truth um, at least in part. And I remember getting really into this story of how the child and the gorilla became great friends. Um, And then towards, I knew that it was getting towards the end of the book because with a a physical book, you can tell how many pages there are left. And suddenly the the child and the gorilla, they were having a great big rough and tumble um, play and a stranger thought that they were fighting and shot dead the gorilla. And I was devastated. Um, Tears were streaming down my face and continued to do so, I think, for the rest of the morning. I remember now where I was when I finished reading that book, how I felt and how I felt for the rest of that morning. And although I was only, what, eight or nine years old, something like that, it was so strong in my memory that, you know, I still now remember that book and how it made me feel. And what I appreciated then about it's not just what happens, it's how people perceive what happens. Both of those things are actually important. So it's a, it was a good lesson in communication, it, um, but a very hard lesson at that time. It, it sounds absolutely traumatic. I absolutely could not cope with books where animals died at the end. I've got a similar memory of reading one in which a horse died and just lying on the sofa and just crying. And uh, like you, I can visualise myself there still in my mind's yes. eye. But um, it's life. And I think it's it, in a way it's a good way for us to learn about life 
I mean, and death, but death is part of life. And it's, it's, it's the natural cycle. We will all die. Our pets will all die. And for children to actually only have the, the lovely, cute, um, everything's nice in the world. Well, that's not real life. So actually, if we can learn some of those lessons through books, I actually think that's a good thing, even if it does make us cry at times. I think books are a very safe way of learning about some of life's more difficult issues. And I think they can provide a useful way for parents and carers to talk about those issues as well. So it's it's so important, I think. Um, so I've got one question that I'm very excited to know the answer to. And this is, um, were you allowed to take a book when you went into space? And if so, what was it? Well, formally I wasn't allowed to take any book to as a sort of a toy let's say or as a for pleasure to read because um, there was a limited space limited um, uh, weight capacity um, for the launch um, and also of course paper is a fire risk but <laughs> and here's the but um, the um, the mission managers did allow me to take a very special book actually that I had been given not long before the launch um, Yuri Gagarin wrote his autobiography called a road called road to the stars because Yuri Gagarin the first person ever in space and um, uh, uh, celebrated still to this day by people in Russia and the Soviet Union as it was when I was doing my training there anyway this particular copy had been translated into English um, and Yuri Gagarin had signed it Anyway, the mission managers thought it would be a good one for me to have. And then my commander thought, well, actually, it would be very good to take it into space. And all my crew could sign it while we were in space and we could give it the space station stamp. It's a bit like a sort of a, um, a post, um, a sort of a postal stamp. Yeah. Um, so we um, we have that on the space station. So we I did that. I took this book, Road to the Stars, into space um, and we I didn't have time to read it, but um, we stamped it and we all signed it. And then I returned to Earth with it. Uh, and then recently, Tim Peake was flying off into space and he very kindly asked me if there was anything of mine that I would like him to take into space for me. And I thought, oh, gosh, I never expected that question. But um, hey, I've got this book. And it was just, you know, in, in sort of a jiffy bag within jiffy bag within jiffy bag, but still in my own home. So I got it out of its all its jiffy bags, gave it to Tim. He packed it up and off it went to the space station with Tim. He, his crew and Tim, they signed it and he brought it back. And now we've given it to the National Space Centre in Leicester. Or should I say we've loaned it to them because we're very much hoping that the next British astronaut yeah. will also be able to take it into space with them. So we've kind of set off a bit of a precedent, we think, or a little, little bit of a tradition for, for Britain, for British that, astronauts. That's absolutely wonderful. I love that story so much. I, that's the most amazing anecdote I've ever heard. I, I just love the fact that, first of all, you weren't meant to take a book into space, but you somehow managed it because I'm a firm believer one should always have a book. But the fact that then everyone signed it and now it's become part of this tradition, it's absolutely lovely that's it's great that's isn't it but amazing. it's also thanks to Tim actually asking mm. me um yes. which is a lovely offer as well so that's sort of um yeah it shows shows how that kindness can hope you know eventually come to something much much bigger Re really nice yeah. that's wonderful um 
And now, if you would like to share the second book that you have brought with you to talk about today. So there's another book that, um, yeah, I, was really influential in my life, I suppose. As a late teenager, I read uh, Huxley's Brave New World. And I'm sure, you know, many people have read this. It's not a, it's, it's, you know, a bestseller, isn't it? Um, but it was so influential. And, and, you know, if people don't remember what it was, it was about, um, I suppose, a bit science fiction, really. Um, I'm not into sci-fi myself. Um, because I don't like it when the science is impossible. But in this book, the science was not impossible. It wasn't yet possible, still is not. Um, but it was all about really how, um, how we can um, create a kind of an artificial caste system, I suppose, by um, making human embryos um, develop in test tubes with varying amounts of alcohol in them and that would then create varying various intelligences so you had this caste system of people living with different intelligences and then there was sort of psycho psychology that was worked on people as well by the state um, so it was a political um, book as well and I kind of quite liked the idea that it was all about this um, the, about the future about how technology and science can affect our lives but it's how we use it as well um, and more recently, you know, I discovered that uh, Huxley's father was a biologist. Oh, no, sorry, his grandfather, I think, was a biologist. And one of his brothers was a biologist and another brother was a physiologist. So he obviously had that sort of that sciencey kind of understanding around yeah. him. Um, but yes, it was all absolutely scientifically possible. But yes, just the, this whole concept of, um, of, of how individuality was lost in this system um and it made maybe think about yeah about yeah about politics and um yeah and society in general i suppose i think the best science fiction says some, something about our society now as well as whatever hypothetical society is depicting yeah it makes you think doesn't it about um about how we, we we can make things different because we do as a society you know it's it's our choice we don't just carry on in the same way that we did when we were living in caves or in the iron age and so on we have developed and it's a, a much more nowadays i think and but always has been to a certain extent a conscious development and it's up to us how we use science yeah you know, everybody says you know you can um with a, a knife, you can kill somebody, or a surgeon can, um, you know, can save them. Um, with nuclear science, um, yes. you, know, you can, you can have a bomb, or you can have a power station and and have clean energy. So yeah, there's all sorts of um, uh, different ways we can use science, and it's up to us to make sure we do it in in the way that's best for humans worldwide. I think absolutely yes, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Could we talk now about the third book that you have brought with you today? So my third book um, reminds me of the, the lovely outdoors. I love hills. I love being outside. I love the rain on my face and the wind in my hair. It's probably what you don't get in space, actually. And I realised in space how much um, that kind of just, just general pleasure of being outside um, I was missing. But um, this book reminds me of that. So it's Alfred Wainwright's Coast to Coast. Um, and it's really a, a book full of photographs of, of Alfred Wainwright's um, sort of sketches. He's 
pen and ink or his pencil drawings of of pathways of a, of a wall somewhere possibly um of a of, of, of perhaps a hillside the you have the contours of a hill um yeah and that, this just reminds me so much of um, of just being outdoors i've done sections of this coast to coast so the, the coast to coast walk itself is a long distance trail you might call it really um made up into sections because the idea is you don't do it all in one go I mean it's 190 odd miles something like that um so of course you do it in sections you have to stay overnight um I love the idea of walking from one hostel to another carrying everything on my back so you minimize what you need um getting back to basics um but the book is just just so lovely because even now I'll flick through the book um and the photographs and these um these sketches just remind me so much of, of some of those walks and inspire me to go on others as well I also love walking and Sheffield, of course, is a very outdoor city because we're fortunate to have the Peak District so close at hand. Um, and we now have the Ethels in the Peak District. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of those, but named after Ethel Haythornthwaite. Oh, um, no, tell me more. And um, so she she um, was a, a pioneer who is very keen on access to the outdoors and she was local to Sheffield. Um, and um, recently a number of peaks in the Peak District have been dubbed Ethels in this after the mode of all the Wainwrights that you can tick off in the Lake District. Um, so there's a whole list and you can go and see how many you can tick off. How lovely. Yes. Yeah, so the coast to coast goes from sort of um, the Lake District in the West to the North Yorkshire Moors in the East. Um, but yes, the, um, the, the um, Peak District, I used to cycle um, so much around the Peak District. So yes, I love those Peak District hills. So yes, I love the idea of the Ethels, super. You'll have to come back to the Peak District and pay us a visit. Oh, oh without doubt. I, in fact, I, I often do, but, um, but yes, I will, I will hunt out the Ethels now. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, Yes, we've got a couple of Wainwright's Peak District books with the little pen and ink drawings, but sometimes I find either a path has changed since his day or else perhaps his boundaries for what is difficult are different from mine. Um, I remember one that he described as a, a grassy stroll turned out to be a crawling over a, a pathless terrain of jagged slate <laughs> but we made it we made it yeah so you've got to be very um uh, very self-sufficient I think and uh, and do your research before you do these walks yes but, um, but yeah, yeah it's um it's it's nice just to um yeah to, to have to have the inspiration sometimes and uh, and especially these sort of um so, so like I say having the Ethels or the Wainwrights the hills to sort of to tick off or um it's, sometimes it's nice to have a, a goal in mind I just like being being out and um and being reminded when I look at the book when I can't be outside <laughs> yes yeah um do you have a favorite book that reminds you of being in space well because I couldn't really take much books to actually read in space um the one that I that does remind me almost of space but of my training is a book that had been published just a year before I started my training so Stephen Hawking wrote his brief history of time in 1988 I started my training in 1989 now I didn't take that book to Russia with me but the person who became my backup Timothy Mace he did he loved it and lent it to me so it reminds me partly of Timothy Mace um, but I would 
come home from my training. Um, and once I'd started this book, I was desperate to read more and more of it. And so I could only read it in quite short sections because I had quite a lot to do in the evenings as well um, in terms of homework <laughs> all over again, um, like going back to school in, a, in some respects. But it was just just super. I don't, I'm sure I didn't understand every word he wrote, but it it was written very much for non scientists um just really describing the universe from its origins to its eventual fate um and you know black holes were in there um and time really so um it made me think about time in a way i'd never thought before and just making science accessible um i think that really showed me um, what we can do in terms of you know how we communicate science um, but yes it was it, yeah for me it reminds me specifically of I suppose of my training to go into space because that's when I read it. So that's one of those books I've always meant to get around to and haven't done so I think now you have recommended it I'm going to seek it out I'm sure we have got it in Sheffield Library so oh, yes, I will get hold of a copy. Yeah, it must be there I bet, I bet the, yes. all together in Sheffield there's quite a few copies. Yes um, I imagine yes. so we do have yes. quite a few. And it's one of those books where I think if you don't quite understand a little section that doesn't matter um, you just keep on going through I mean it's written in a very nice way so it's, yes. it sounds nice um, and it's sort of it 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 gels somehow so that, that yes. that's the beauty yeah. of it really yeah that sounds wonderful um so just for one final question i was wondering whether you have a favorite memory of being in space well, of course there are so many feeling weightless was just amazing and you know, the views out of the window the camaraderie um but if it's one particular time i think it has to be um when we arrived at the space station we'd had to do a manual docking which meant that each one of us had to trust in the others to do our bit um if we crashed of course or missed the space station we wouldn't have made it so um we worked together to get there um and when we did reach the space station it takes about an hour and a half to check that you're not leaking air from the seal and then you can open the hatch and then float inside so that feeling I'd felt weightless for a couple of days but inside a very small spacecraft and then I could float into these long thin modules meet the two cosmonauts who had already been there for six months and that elation of the fact that you know we had done this together um you know when you've worked hard with somebody or a group of people and and then you've achieved what you wanted to achieve it just feels so good doesn't it that, it's that, the best feeling isn't it just <laughs> and you you always remain close to those people as well you can sort of the, you you get that that trust um built up amongst yeah. you so yeah that's 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 the time, I suppose, that one particular memory, if I had to choose one, it's that arrival at the space station. <laughs> I think we could let you have another one if, if there are other things oh, that you want to ooh, talk about. Others. Well, <laughs> what else can I say? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, um, most days when we'd done what we needed to do, we would find the biggest window we could. And all of us together, probably partly because of that camaraderie, but all of us together would gather around the window you know, with our heads all pointing towards the centre of the window. But we'd be gathering around the outside perimeter of it and we'd just look out. And those amazing views, because we were orbiting the Earth as the earth was spinning below us. So it's this constantly changing view. Sometimes you can see you know, these, the oceans with the sunlight reflecting off the surface, coming straight back up to you in space. Um, the clouds can be brilliant white, actually, again, because of that reflection of the sunlight. Um, the brick red 
deserts. Um, and what amazed me actually was to be able to see not individual people, of course, but the effects of people, lights from cities, and perhaps we're accustomed to that, but things in straight lines that your eye can follow. So the wakes of a ship, for instance, the wakes of ships. So we couldn't see the ship itself, but it creates this long straight line behind it in the water. Um, smoke from fires, because the smoke tends to be blown in a straight line and even sometimes long straight roads where there's nothing else around. So it was that, um, yeah, that those that it, the impact of, of humans on the earth and of course condensation trails of aircraft. So you quickly get in your mind a pattern when you look on the surface, perhaps not on the surface of the earth, but in the atmosphere as well, these condensation trails, and you know exactly where you are over the earth, depending on what the pattern of the condensation trails look like. Southern hemisphere, very few. Um, Eastern Asia, all of these condensation trails are sort of going in towards some of those central parts. Um, Europe, crisscrossing all over the place. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful sights from space. That's completely fascinating. And it genuinely gave me chills when you were talking about the views. I could feel myself getting goosebumps. That was just such a wonderful description. It, it sounds... I was going to say magical, but that's the wrong word because it's not magic, it's real. And that just makes it even more amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, people can, I mean, anybody can just tune into, if you've got access to the internet, which everybody should have if you've got a, a library. So you can, um, there's some beautiful websites where you can just um, see what the space station is seeing. Um, and it's just live. So you can just look back down on the earth. And if you just want a sort of a nice gentle view at the end of the day, yeah, check out what the earth looks like from space. What a lovely idea. I'm definitely going to do that. I'm going to do that this evening. And that also seems a perfect note to end on. So um, thank you so much for joining us today, Helen. It has been absolutely wonderful having you and hearing about your favourite reads and your memories of Sheffield Libraries. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast, the place to hear authors discuss their work and to explore stories, both fact and fiction, that we think deserve to be heard. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you.